You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high-powered rifles, we all have one thing in common. And that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Mike check, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a storm coming, uh, and this is a warning. The storm, his name is Tony Peterson, and this is a BS session, my friends, and it gets, it gets a little cuckoo for a little bit, and you know, I feel like any time Tony comes on, it's like a make-a-wish, like he must think that I'm going to die or something. So this is like a make a wish foundation type of, uh, he's like, he's doing this out of the kindness of his heart when he doesn't have to. Right. And so, uh, I don't know about you, but I need these types of episodes to kind of reset, to get my creative juices flowing. And then I can go back to, you know, the hunting type content. So every once in a while, I need the reset button. And that's when I bring in Tony Peterson and we can talk about, we can just go crazy. This, this episode's a little over an hour long and uh, we have some really good conversations. What about, I can't really remember, but I will say this, we laughed a lot. We had a, a, a fun time and uh, I think there's a point you'll 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 definitely hear this there's a point in this show where i feel like he is sincerely concerned about my mental health and uh and so you're going to hear that story as well but it's a fun bs session anytime tony's on the show i have an absolute blast and uh from the sounds of it you guys like listening to these episodes as well so <clears throat> drink some water real quick all right <clears throat> commercial time and I'm just going to run through these real quick uh, I want to send a huge shout out to all of these brands because all of these brands really do help support the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, the Sportsman's Empire the, uh, the Hunting Gear Podcast myself and without them I couldn't do what I, I do and so 
huge shout out to these brands. If you are interested in a saddle, look no further than Tethered. The, the company that, in my opinion, revived the saddle hunting market, uh, the, the saddle hunting industry, and now there's all these other companies coming out of the woodwork with saddle saddles because Tethered was able to lay the way for them. And so if you want one of the originals in the, uh, I guess, the, the new, the new, you know, things that have come out recently, Tethered and their revival, go check out tetherednation.com, uh, read up on all their saddles and saddle hunting accessories. Next on the, uh, the market is next on the market. Next up is Wasp Archery. Uh, Wasp is one of my favorite brands because every time I hold one of their broadheads in my hand, I hear death metal in my brain for some reason. Like, and I get fired up because I know the first thing that hits the deer is a broadhead and you want that broadhead to be well made and properly designed with the best materials. And so that, my friends, is Wasp. They have fixed blade and mechanical options. Go to wasparchery.com, enter the discount code NFC20, and you're going to save 20% off. The next company really doesn't even need an introduction because you already know that Vortex Optics has some of the best, if not the best, optics on the market and the best people working for that company behind the product. So if you're looking for a spotting scope, a range finder, uh, rifle scopes, red dots, you name it, they have it. Vortexoptics.com, go check them out. Code Blue Sense, I keep, I've said this a million times, you gotta try the Rope-A-Dope system. I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, use the discount code at CodeBlueSense.com, NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, I think it's going to kind of change the way you look at mock scrape sets and, and basically the deer come to investigate it. I put a trail camera up in front of that and it allows me to get a ton of inventory of what's going on. Uh, next on the list, if you're looking for a habitat tool or a machete type uh, tool, you got to go check out the Woodman's Pal, uh, woodmanspal.com. These guys have been around for, oh man, since the 40s. It's an American-made product. It's a, it's durable. You can beat the shit out of things with it. Uh, I handed one to uh, my son, which could have been a mistake, but he handled it fairly well. And he chopped out some uh, trail camera sets for me. So there were some bushes in front, some branches that were hanging down. He chopped those out and uh, awesome tool for that. So go check out the Woodman's Pal website, woodmanspal.com. And they have uh, several other leather type products as well. Very unique company. And uh, I'm glad to be working with them. Next on the list, Huntworth. Uh, stay tuned. I, I don't know if it's a Valentine's Day or it's Father's Day. I think it's Father's Day. They're going to be putting out a really big sale. And so they should be... Um, you know, you should be following them on Instagram and Facebook or any social media and, and basically uh, keep an eye out for some discount codes that are coming down the pipe. In my opinion, uh, these guys, they do not have the elite brand prices, but they are definitely, from a quality standpoint, up there with the elite brands. And so uh, 
I love their, the, their layering options because that's important in how I hunt. And so go check out huntworthgear.com. And then last but not least, Full Sneak. If you're looking for some t-shirts, some sweatshirts, some hats, I got the brand new Slayer tee that's gonna be hitting the, the website here very soon. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, go check out fullsneakgear.com and uh, let me know what you think, man. Place an order. Other than that, we got a good episode today. It's crazy. It's off the rocker. It's a fun one. Tony Peterson, here we go. Three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mr. Tony Peterson. Long time no talk, dude. It, I feel like it's been several months. Has it been several months? It, it feels like it's been a long time, buddy. Hey, is it is it still considered a round of applause if you only get it from one person? <laughs> I don't know. Especially a person that's missing one of their fingers. Do you think if you took one clap and I took one clap and we measured the decibels that because I have a missing finger, then... Uh, I I would register less. Of course. Yeah. Or it's just a tiny, tiny bit though. Or does this missing finger reduce drag? Mm. And now my three fingers and thumb on this side are traveling at a faster speed than yours, causing a bigger impact. These are, this is a good conversation already. We might break the You're, box off. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot more high-level science happening on this podcast than I expected, buddy. <laughs> it's not high-level. I didn't know we were going to get deep into the world of physics here. <laughs> well, we're not because that is literally as far as I can go. Right? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It caught me off guard because I'm usually just talking to that dullard Mark Kenyon, and he doesn't come up with anything clever. Uh, have you seen any... Uh, crazy space movies or, or shows recently? You know what? You want to know how you can tell it's been January in Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Because I have. Oh. Uh, I watched... Actually, I watched two movies recently that I just normally probably wouldn't unless I was on a plane or something. Yeah. I watched a movie called Extinction. Have you seen that? Um... Is that the one where the planes start falling out of the sky and the whatever is attacking North America is like with MP, uh, like uh, uh, electric, uh, electric magnetic pulse or whatever that's called, and it shuts down all technology and stuff like that? Is it that show? Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, it is a different show about an alien invasion and... Uh... I was like, I, I can't even remember why I started it, but about halfway through, there is a bananas plot twist. So for a while, I was like, this is really dumb. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa. And then I was like, ah, that's kind of cool. Okay. It's, uh, it, it's worth watching in the winter if it's 112 degrees below zero and there's nothing to do. Yeah. So long story short, it's an alien invasion movie. Right. Okay. All right. Yep. Okay. Cool. And then... Speaking of aliens, uh, I also watched Prey, mm -hmm. that Predator. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how I missed it or it didn't. I, I actually did start it at one point, but I only made it like four minutes into it. And mm -hmm. then I got distracted by something, but I watched it 
through its entirety the other uh, the other day, and yeah. it's uh, another very good movie for when it's the middle of winter and you have absolutely nothing else. Nothing to do. To do. Nothing to do. Yep. Uh, okay, and this is what this is going to be one of the topics that we talk about today, and you brought it up: hunting in cinema. All right. Okay. (laughs) So your boy Ranella over there, he actually, I believe he sat down and it was probably, I think I've seen Cam Cameron Haynes do it too, where they sit down, they watch a movie and then they just tell everything that's wrong about it. Like this would never happen. Uh, and, and, uh, and so what is, what is the thing? What was your trigger when watching this movie? That was like, oh, but first you got to, you got to dissect the movie for us. You got to explain to us and then tell us why you're pissed. All right. So it's, it's based in like, I think it's the early 1700s. Comanches down in the, you know, American Southwest living their life, hunting, whatever. And then the predator, one of the predators gets dropped off to go on a little hunting expedition, Mm -hmm. you know, as vacation, whatever. And so there's French explorers, there's Comanches. Uh, they all get real wiped out for a while. And then, uh, you know, obviously the protagonist ends up figuring out how to defeat the, mm-hmm. the predator, but it's one hell of a fight. The, the two things that I just couldn't get past, one wasn't hunting, right? One right. was just, the, I, and I get why they did it. So the Comanches in the movie speak English. Okay. Which whatever it's fine. I don't want to read subtitles. Whatever. But then they then they meet these these you know boorish French explorers who've been out there forever and shooting flintlocks, and they speak French, but they have a translator. And I'm like, it seems pretty crazy to show the Comanches speaking English, mm-hmm. 1712 or whatever, and then these French explorers are we we or whatever you know. <laughs> So that drove me a little bit freaking nuts. But the thing that just, and this happens with hunting in movies all the time, is when the Comanche warriors would draw their bows, they would turn their hand out. Okay. You know, so that like for the people listening, so you imagine shooting a traditional bow, recurve, yep. longbow, whatever. Three fingers on the string, one above, two below, however however you, you hold it. Uh, come right back to your face, typically, mm-hmm. right? Like, you want a repeated anchor point. We all know this, which is why we all shoot releases and nobody shoots with fingers anymore. But they all held the string with, instead of the palm of their finger close to their face, like aimed into their face, mm-hmm. or the palm of their hand, it was all pointed out. So their wrist was inverted like 180 degrees. And they all shot that way. Okay, And it just looks so dumb and then and then they all had and this might have actually been accurate i'm not sure but they all had their uh finger over the arrow like completely over the arrow so on your on your bow arm where you're holding the grip imagine putting your finger up and then wrapping it around the arrow Mm -hmm. and i get that that actually might have been from riding horses and shooting like that might be a realistic thing but i was like watching them draw that bow backwards like that over and over i was like this it a it drove me nuts and b i haven't done this yet i haven't looked it up because i'm like this seems like something an authenticator would have picked up on yeah real fat so i'm like did they shoot that way 
and I never looked it up. But it, it like from a modern perspective, I was like, ah, this is driving me crazy. Okay, um, I love I love where this conversation is going because I don't know how many. Okay, here is one. Here's one uh, part of a movie. I think it was actually uh, a show. Friday Night Lights. It was either in a movie or in the Friday Night Lights uh, sh- uh, show where um, they're sitting in a in a tower blind, but it's one of those, it's actually a tripod with the mesh around it. So the top isn't there, right? And so yeah. they are drinking excessively, talking out loud and rattling. They're actually rattling in this. And... Then this giant bucks shows up, and it's down in Texas. Giant buck shows up, and they shoot it with a rifle. And, and I'm just like, um, I think I was watching it with my wife, and she says something like, well, that looked easy. I'm like, that's not real life, okay? There's no way that would happen, even with a rifle, if you're that loud and you're drinking and, oh, well, the game on Friday, blah, 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 blah. And, and then a, just all of a sudden, a big deer shows up. It just doesn't happen that way. And so. Hunting in movies, man. Yeah. I Rock. wonder if this, for some reason, this tells me it might be real. I don't know. I don't know why, but it, it, I feel like. Because oftentimes in movies, and maybe not in the low-budget ones, but they have people that are there to consult, like historians. Because I, I know that in the movie The Revenant, where yep. you know there's a lot of things in that movie that they had a historian there to be like, actually, the guys didn't wear clothes like this. They wore clothes like this. Their boots looked yep. like this. They they did this like one of the one of the uh, parts in the movie though, it's like springtime, it's like uh, April, it's like the fall time frame, and there's bugling elk in the background, and he go oh, and he's trying to shoot him, he he shoots this big bull, and that's the, right before the grizzly bear scene, and yep. and the grizzly bear mauls him, which I have been told is the most realistic grizzly bear attack from people who have actually been attacked by a grizzly bear. So they got that right. Yep. <laughs> Dude. So I had a, I had a, speaking of like Hollywood and their disconnect from yeah. what we do. When, do you remember, were, were you, how, how involved in the hunting industry were you when like the Hunger Games was coming out and blowing up? Oh, dude. Were you, were you pretty active then? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I was working at Peterson's bow hunting then, and I got a phone call at my office from uh, a number in like Malibu. Right. You know, showed up on like the old school caller ID, whatever. And it was a, uh, it was somebody from a production company out in California. And this is, this is when, remember there were like some reality TV shows where they were like souping up guns and Mm -hmm. blowing up stuff. And like, can we, you know, like take this scene from a movie and can we, you know, replicate it into real life? Like what would happen? So this guy 
was Chase working with a production company my- and they wanted to do that with bows because yep. bow hunting and shooting archery like archery was super popular during hunger games like there are a lot of people probably listening to this who have no idea how many bows that little craze sold but it yep. was freaking nuts so anyway th- i don't i don't even remember how this guy got in like contact with us ended up calling me and he's like, man, you know, we want to build custom bows that can shoot like 10 arrows at a time. And we want to blow up cool stuff with it. And I was like, do you know how a bow works? Yeah. Like, do you, do you understand like the basic structure and function of the whole thing? And he had no clue like that you can only put in what you can put in with your arms. Like he had no clue that we couldn't just build like these awesome custom recurves that could shoot 20 arrows at a time. And it was like one of those deals where you're like, I can't believe this even got to this stage. Like <laughs> this guy's like sourcing people right. who might help him out with this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong about how they were shooting those bows and prey. I'm hoping that's how they did it. And an authenticator came in and said, hell yes, this is it. But a little part of me is like, man, I don't know. Okay. So while you were talking there, I just went to, I Googled, uh, how do Comanches shoot bows? And not a, they don't even come up here, all right. So this guy, and this is a, this is a, a thirty second video that I just kind of bre- bre- uh, breeze through just now, and they shoot down. They were shooting down like this. They would hold the bow sideways, and then they would shoot. They would be low, and they would shoot low, like their hand would be down here. Not even up when here. they're not on a horse. You know, this this was when they were uh, standing on the ground. Or down on the ground. I, I didn't see anything to deal with a horse. Did he did he show the orientation of the hand? Uh it was it would have been like this, but it was upside because the bow is lower, it the palm would have been up facing the sky. And the bow was held sideways parallel with the ground. So they were shooting like this. Interesting. Like, so 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 we're kind of both wrong. Yeah, we're both wrong, right? And there's, I hope, like, what I actually hope happens is someone from the Comanche tribe reaches out to me and tells me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a Comanche historian on the podcast, and we're going to talk about how they shoot, how they shot their bows. That would be, uh, who was the guy who wrote Empire of the Summer Moon? S.C. Gwynn. Have you read that? Mm-mm. Oh, man. You want to learn about the Comanches? That's your uh, okay. source material. Yeah, I definitely need to. I definitely need to. There was a while there where I went on a tear uh, of reading and watching movies and documentaries about the the Indians, like uh, Native Americans across the plains and the Comanches and the Sioux and things like that, along with uh, like the Roman Empire. And like, uh, just, you know, like, oh, that's so cool that, you know, anyway, that was uh, th- that, that's the take there. Have you ever found an arrowhead? Oh yeah, I found three in my entire life. Never looking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all been within a five mile area. Okay, so back in the day, my buddy's grandpa owned a, a piece of river bottom property right on this uh, creek. I call it a creek, but it's 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 bigger than a creek, but smaller than a river type of deal. And so um, we ended up like one day I was out there setting up a trail camera 
and I look down where the deer were crossing and there's like this black dirt and then right off to the side of it I saw this pink rock sticking out I'm like that's strange it's a it's pink pull it out of the ground it's a spear tip air like it's not perfect but you could tell it's an arrowhead right uh five miles south of that on a new I lost that property got access to a new farm five miles south of that and that's where I found the other two one is in pretty like really good shape obvious it's a it's really good so two of them there and uh along that river you know there's by now it's all like tore up and the field edges have been plowed over and stuff but they used to have burial sites like the mound builder indians along that along that uh creek system that led into what would be the skunk river named after an indian tribe in the in southern iowa and so a lot of yeah finding arrowheads is pretty freaking sweet and then you find out you know you do your research on it what it looks like it could be like eight thousand years old it's pretty it's pretty awesome holding something in your hand that a person made eight thousand years ago dude i I have never found one in all my time out there Mm -hmm. we my dad and i found uh we were trout fishing in southeastern minnesota when i was young we found a tool that was like for pounding maize like pounding into flour yeah um and we I, we donated that to a museum down there but that's the only thing i've never just been walking along and it where i grew up where i started hunting we had uh burial mounds out there and i still have never just looked down into a field when i'm you know yeah. shed hunting or whatever and see the arrowhead mine have all been in the spring or summer time frame it's never been you know the one i the 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 one that i found out I, I was walking to check a trail camera i checked it switched the sd card out of it took a piss looked down and i was standing this far from it like an inch from it i'm like holy shit look at that and that's that's i, I never go looking for them either but i find them um speaking of archery this this one's going to be archery in movies okay the bow that Rambo shoots, okay? And when he draws it back, you can hear that zing, Like, it sounds like cable, metal cable being stretched. And, uh-huh. and but when he pulls it back, it looks like it has maybe 10 pounds. It's a 10-pound draw. And he's launching arrows through tanks and shit like that. And so <laughs> I, uh, I was watching that with my son the other day. It was on... I don't know, one of the Rambo, that Rambo movie was on. He's shooting like explosive tips and blowing people completely up. And my son's like, dad, can your bow do that? I go, no bow can do that, buddy. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I, I know there's probably explosive tips, but with t- on a 10 pound draw, you know, Sylvester Stallone's drawing it back too easy. And then the, the, uh, or in the, uh, here's another one. In the movie Lord of the Rings, have you ever seen that those movies? Oh yeah, yeah. And that Legolas guy, the elf, he's shooting like five hundred yard dots right into people's eyeballs, and I'm like, that's also not accurate. Uh, and he's with with this with his bow, he's shooting through like five people. Like, do you know how much 
I'm sitting here just being an asshole. Do you know how much your arrow would have to weigh and how fast it would have to be going in order to go through the chest of four four people and their armor? Like it's not it, it's not happening, even in a fantasy world. No, it's almost like Lord of the Rings isn't a actual recap of our history. Mm-mm. Yeah, but that would be sweet if it was. <laughs> would it? Maybe. Just imagine, just imagine all of a sudden there's this, you know, like we find things every day, right? So uh, example, LADAR, you know, using the LADAR in the, in the rainforest, the Amazon rainforest and finding these civilizations that had been covered up by, just imagine if there was a, a book that changed, that they found a book or a tomb somewhere that had like really advanced technology or bones of orcs or humanoids with horns and all of that stuff that used to be myth is now reality. That would be, that would be groundbreaking. Isn't that the whole ancient aliens thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. I think, I I mean, I think orcs are maybe a stretch, but (laughs) which is not something I expected to say on a hunting podcast. Uh, but if you pay attention to it, like I, I was, I wrote a foundation script the other day about, I started it off with like our co-evolution with dogs. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, I mean, I know like Steve's super into the peopling of North America, right? Like when did people actually get here? How long mm-hmm. have they been here? Like, did we have, were, you know, were there advanced civilization of, of people before the younger driest impact? Like there's a lot of. A lot of stuff we're learning like that and you talk about finding those you know looking through the jungle canopy with lidar and all of a sudden seeing you know huge cities mm-hmm. with canals and roads and all this stuff so i was anyway i was uh doing a little research on this and there's an archaeological dig site in sweden sweden or switzerland I can't, uh, sweden i think and they found they found a whole bunch of stuff but they found a dog that had been buried 80, 84 or 8,600 years ago that had a necklace around its neck, like a collar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had some tools buried with it, and it was interred. It wasn't like, you know, they can tell when they're placed and and positioned a certain way. They do the same thing with people. Mm-hmm. And there were dog toys buried with it. And so when we think about, you know, our co-evolution with canine, wild canids, we're like, okay, it was probably super transactional for most of our history, right? Like you, you can chew on these bones. I'll give you a scrap of meat, whatever, but you gotta, you gotta growl or bark if a bear gets too close or whatever. Like yeah. This is, this is our deal. This is how we get to be together. Yeah. But you think about that 8,600 years ago or 8,400 years ago, those people love that dog enough to bury it with grave. They're called grave goodies, mm-hmm. which is we we have started to find that but it's mostly with humans where you're like okay they buried this person with some you know seeds to eat and whatever but they were doing that with dogs that long ago yeah i think that's freaking fascinating yeah and so listening to a lot of history type podcasts like that you know everybody you know 10 years ago everybody was like okay the human race started you know like the the homo sapiens that we know started at this time but all this technology that's coming out seems to be pointing it back even f- way further than that 
And yeah. so it's it's definitely have you ever looked at a a picture of a dog breed like a, you're a dog guy like a hundred years ago and they look nothing like what a dog any any species any species of dog uh, they look absolutely nothing like uh, what they what they are today yep I mean you can you can look back at Labrador retrievers and it wasn't that long ago where your only choice was black yeah and and by that long ago I mean like 200 years ago yeah yeah it's crazy the one that I saw was a Rottweiler and what a Rottweiler looked like uh, in the 1800s versus what it does today and it it doesn't eat it, it looks almost more it's it had the short snout but it looked furrier like it had hair more like a, a coyote or maybe a, a, a little bit of a longer haired dog and i'm like that's not that's no way close but that that's crazy how genetics like once you put the human touch into genetics you can breed anything in or out of a bloodline blows my mind yeah artificial selections wild man mm. and then we get things like french bulldogs right right they're they are a literal waste of space i feel like those types of pugs and like they're they're good for what listen just when when someone says i want a pug or a french bulldog you're almost saying i just want to listen to a an animal struggle for its own life every day. It's the the it's a hard one for me to handle <laughs> because you're right. I mean, it's it, it, how much time that, how this, much time do you actually think about French bulldogs and and pugs? Is it something you, you're literally dealing with? I, you have to go to therapy for. <laughs> I literally have a podcast dropping next week called French Bulldogs and Individual Bucks. Are you lot. serious? Yeah, okay. because it's about the individual variance in deer, and I and I kind of backdrop it against dogs, right? Because yep. we we tend to think of deer behavior as generalized. Mm -hmm. You know, five and a half year old bucks do this, fawns do this, does do this. But you know as well as I do, when you start dealing with you know deer on this property versus the one over, they're different, right? And, and some bucks daylight like crazy, some bucks are nocturnal as hell, like they're individuals. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I actually think about this a lot, but I also, when it comes to like French bulldogs and that Frenchie craze right now, I'm like, we never learn. We go through this with dog breeds. We did it with golden retrievers and we sentenced most golden retrievers to cancer, Yeah, which is, you know, 60% of them, uh, especially if they have any show breeding whatsoever, you can still get field bred goldens. But we, we go through this where they get popular, the demand goes through the roof. So... We breed and breed and breed because there's no there's no regulations on breeding in the U.S. You go to Europe, you can't do that. Yeah. But here you can if you're like I own a Frenchie and I want a bunch of Frenchie pups to sell. There's nothing stopping you. Right. And so now you're just participating in this trend, and these dogs are just bred for looks yeah. and availability, and it is a bad move long run, and we do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I, well, I have several. But if you were, let's say you went on some spring bear hunt and you come uh, across a scenario where a wolf puppy was right there and its mother had been killed by a grizzly bear 
and the rest of the pups had been killed and it's just one pup. Would you take that pup and raise it as your own in your house and try to tame it? No. No. You know why? Why? Because I don't want my kids to get eaten. Mm-hmm. I would. But I also don't want my kids to get eaten. But how sweet would it be to have a wolf like Game of Thrones? That was just... it. It it did what you commanded, but the I don't think that the actual scale of the wolves in Game of Thrones are accurate because they looked bigger in Game of Thrones than a real wolf would be. However, you've seen that video of that wolf crossing the road in Siberia or somewhere like that, and it looks like a car. It's so huge. Yeah. So I would not bring. Even if I thought I had a real good shot at training that puppy to love my family and what if and you be, didn't have a family? Would you then would it change whether or not you brought that wolf pup home? I would at least consider it okay. then. At least yeah. you're considering I would it. probably still opt for the safe route of just going there isn't a, an amount of nurturing on a first generation wild canine <laughs> that I think I could give it to override its just the, the rest of the genetics right like i just i feel like you're like that is just a gun with no safety and you're running all over the playground like eventually shit's gonna happen <laughs> it would be like do you remember where uh for some reason i just i i envision what the inside of a house looks like with a wild wolf living inside of it and it's just completely destroyed, which re- I don't know why this uh, it reminds me of this. But the old lady who uh, found what she thought was a cat and she took pictures of it and hung flyers all over her town. And it was a possum. And it was like uh, found white cat, very angry or something like not happy or something like that. And it's a, it was a picture of a possum. Dude, I... I would laugh at that, but I live in the suburbs and I deal with those people all the time. And it is just, it, you know, we, we joke a lot about like the disconnect from nature, right? Mm-hmm. Like earlier in our conversation talking about Hollywood, but my wife's on all these like next door apps and, you know, local Facebook pages yep. and stuff. The amount of people who see a coyote, cause we're covered in them, mm-hmm. right? You know, I, they're so adapted to this environment. The amount of people who are like, I had a, or I had a wolf in my backyard, and then you see the picture, and mm. it's twenty six pounds, and it's a coyote. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, those are the people that, or or when when you go to Yellowstone and you got all these people getting destroyed by buffalo, they're trying to take their pictures. They feel like, oh God, this is like a Disney movie. Let me go up and pet this one thousand pound beast. And then they get thrown in the air. I don't go, when I see those videos, I don't go, <gasps> I go. <laughs> Dude. I mean, right. It's like, at this point, do you not understand? Like, have we not seen enough of those, you know, a, a buffalo just yeeting some freaking idiot yeah. tourist up in the air? Like, have we not seen enough of that yet? Like, who, yeah. who is going to Yellowstone who hasn't been exposed to those videos? Right. Obviously, quite a few, you know, quite a few people. Um, the, uh, here's another video that really makes me laugh, and that's any time an alligator trainer gets bitten by an alligator. Dude, I was just thinking about that. Like, <laughs> I, 
when you're like, hey, would you trust a wolf? I'm like, maybe in a really special situation, would I trust an alligator or a crocodile? No way. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Look into those eyes. Yeah. That's like... That's like trusting a shark. Right. Just like look at a shark. You tell me that that thing is like, you just know there's just a base level thought process going on there all the time. <laughs> and you know what's wild? Have you seen these videos of it'll be like an alligator or a crocodile and a you know little antelope or something? Something walks up to drink on shore, yep. you know, and they're cagey as hell because yep. they know there's giant murder lizards living under the water. Yep. And those those an alligator or a crocodile will come out swinging and try to get a hold of them, and they'll miss, and you can see them get pissed, like smash the water with their snout. Yeah. Like, not only is that a giant, just murder lizard. Yeah. Right. It's also capable of rage. <laughs> Like, can you imagine? Oh, man. When, if you catch him on his best day, yeah. he might eat you. Yeah. And if you catch him when he's pissed, he'll roll and rip your arm off. Then you'll bleed to death. Then he'll eat you. Yeah. Forget about it, man. Nature is pretty sweet. I love, dude, whenever my, so back in the day on Sunday nights, National Geographics was on and my dad Mate, we didn't watch football. We didn't watch NFL football. We watched National Geographics. And my favorite episodes were all Africa. And even in some of the shows now, they don't even show the animal. Like, they'll show it chasing. They'll, they'll show the lion jump on a gazelle, and then they'll fade to black. And then they won't, they won't show what actually happened. But back in the late 80s and early 90s, National Geographics used to show the pack of hyenas ripping the intestines out of the zebra that they caught and then the lion coming the lion pride coming in killing one of the hyenas and then taking over that you know that uh, dead zebra or whatever anyway and then the alligators would come out of the water or the crocs or whatever they were, were grab the wildebeest by the snout do a roll break his neck rip his face off and i know this is morbid they used to show that that's that is reality right and and so now certain reality is good like the kardashians that kind of re reality is good but nature you can't show that stuff Blow, blows my mind blows my mind dude well okay so how many years of of nerfing up real nature do you have to have before you get tourists who try to pet bison and oh Yellowstone? yeah yeah, because that's the director's old. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> like Crocodile Dundee, where you see that movie where she goes to put her uh, container into the water or something. It's around her neck, and the crocodile comes out of the water, bites the canteen, and then he has to like I don't know. He does something to it. I think he maybe does he stab it in the head with a Bowie knife. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, Crocodile Dundee. I love that. I love that show. I'm sure there was some, do uh, you think that, that that movie was accurate in regards to being able to whisper to a buffalo to get it to move out of the ro road? Do you think that's accurate? I think maybe not. Probably not, yeah. I think we're more likely to discover an orc carcass out there <laughs> than be able to mesmerize wild game that way. Um, uh. 
now let's say let's say this is there a wild animal i want to go the best wild animal versus the worst wild animal all right we've also we've already had this conversation about okay you have to bring one wild animal into your home to try to tame it and live coexist with it in in a house potentially with a family is there what would be the worst animal to do that to I mean, I think you'd have to either pick a snake or a reptile, right? Because yeah. there's, it just feels like there would be. Well, I don't know. If you no emotion. Yeah. Like I don't know the animal I would be most interested in, and I don't know why mm-hmm. this just popped into my head, but it would be an otter. An otter. I think you could train an otter to be a badass pet. I think you're right. I was going to go a different direction until you said otter. Uh, but I feel like one of those giant river otters would be one of the coolest pets in the world. Also, let's say your wife gets hit by a bus mm-hmm. and now you're back on the market and you're walking a baby otter around. <laughs> I'm just saying, forget lab puppies. <laughs> so, so you think, so you think an otter would help a widowed a widowed man pull more post listen i'm just saying if your wife's suddenly like i'm gonna start free solo rock climbing you might want to start looking into how to raise an otter how to source a baby <laughs> otter that's all i'm saying okay so what you're saying an otter is gonna pull the, if I go into a mall with a baby puppy, you think that an, a baby otter or a real otter would outperform? If 100%. my goal is to get a chick to come back to my house and potentially make love with her, you're saying that an otter would pull more chicks in my direction than a baby puppy. I don't know why you said that that way because that feels like you just put yourself on a watch list. Yeah, I mean... Aren't we all on a watch list of some sort? Potentially make love with her. (laughs) Yes, I do think a baby otter would be way up there on just highest odds. Okay. Imagine a little like uh, a little harness on it and it's just running down the the sidewalk next to you. And if it was trained to do like a cool trick, like if you threw a little red ball and for some reason I'm envisioning a little red ball and you throw it in the air, it catches it and it brings it back. It climbs up your body and it puts it in a pocket in your shirt or something like that. And then everybody's like, Oh my God, how did you do that? And then you're like, well, why don't you just come over to my house and I can show you how we do it. It's probably automatic at that point. Right? Well, I think so. And also I think just an otter, you know, laying on its back, playing with a fidget spinner or something. Mm -hmm. It's over, man. Oh my God. It's too cute. Fidget spinner. Too cute. Dude, we should write a movie about this. Do you think so? (laughs) I think so. I know a guy who produces films out in California. Hey, I uh, know a guy who works for a very popular uh, podcast network, uh, who it's one of the biggest out there. You, Ranella. Maybe we should pitch this idea to him. Like, dude, we got an idea for a reality television show or uh, 
what would the name what would the name of that show be? But it has to have the word otter in it. Mm. I don't know. I know that Steve would never go for it because all he'd want to do is trap it. Hmm. Yeah, but he would have it, to be the villain. He would be the villain. Okay. And we would be like two dudes before you <laughs> two dudes want otter. <laughs> Before you no, just wait, before you before you go off the deep end here, let me finish. Two dudes, both widows, right? Hey, dude, you want to just move in with each other? Save save some money? Yeah, okay. Hey, by the way, I have an otter. And so the whole premise of this show is let's say you own the otter, right? And I move in, I move in with you because both of our wives died somehow. And that would right, have to rock be climbing rock climbing, canoe, hit, getting hit mm. by a bus, like you said earlier, like a, a shelf at Target collapses, something like that. And we don't necessarily have to worry about money because we're gonna, going to be suing whoever. We get a large amount of money. I move in with you. Oh, maybe we go and we, we hunt public lands together, whatever the case may be. But this otter is always getting in between us and our plans, right? It's getting jealous, the jealous otter or something like that. And it sees that I am getting attention from you. This is just, the more I talk about it, it's turning, it just turning homo, kinda. I think maybe we should change the, change Listen, the There's only one of us that took that direction and it wasn't me. I was just sitting there going, man, this guy just keeps digging. There's got to, there, but there has to be, I'll I tell you what, take me, hey. take me out of it, put a hot babe in, then, then the, then it becomes a comedy. Can, can right? we hit the pause button for a second? I just want to ask you a question. Like a, a pause hey. button. Like you really want me to pause recording? Let's, let's pause the development of our soon to be blockbuster feature film about otters. Okay. Otter ownership. Have you ever been to actual therapy? No. Do you think I oh. need it? I would, I'm just saying Maybe. Just maybe. <laughs> Dude, every day I wake up and, and I go to myself, man, is today the day I call a therapist? But I honestly, when I, when I walk away from these podcasts that I do with you, I feel better. I mean, obviously, obviously nobody's listening to this, right? I'm going to post it. I'm going to, I'm going to write a, uh, you know, my, my show notes, right? I'm going to come up with a catchy title, but, but probably somewhere around where we started critiquing Comanche uh, shooting strategy. I'm pretty sure that's when I'm going to see a analytic drop off in people watching this or listening to this podcast. Well, that's their loss, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, back to the otters. Uh, uh, let's, let's, con let's continue that. I'm just joking. We don't want to continue the otter. Um, so you feel an otter would be a cool animal to have. I, I, st I still keep going back to a wolf. I feel I could do it somehow. I wouldn't have to, I, it would slowly transition from my garage or a pen into the house. You know, you gotta, you gotta, because if, if they can do it in, what's that, uh, movie where, is it, uh, Kevin Costner's in it. Uh, Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. He kind of does it. And then um, is there? there's another movie. 
a river runs it's not a river runs through it uh it's about uh, it's up in alaska he's a gold miner uh, and he he pet like he he's able to the tame jack, a wolf it's a jack london boom uh, based off a jack london book the uh, the white it's not the white wolf is it i don't remember what it's called but i know what you're talking about okay all right anyway. listen i think a wolf is an admirable choice yeah yeah uh, do you think you could raise a bunny rabbit? Because uh, I've hit, uh, like when mowing before, I've hit a rabbit's nest and destroyed a lot of lives on accident. I don't do it on purpose. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I've hit some... I like how you said that like it was sort of a question. <laughs> I definitely don't murder baby rabbits I, for fun, I... ladies. But I think if anybody, even if you've lived out in the country, even in town, in certain areas... You you've probably mowed over a rabbit's nest. I mean, it, it's in my front yard. They're in the same place every year, and now I just don't mow that little section because there's a little hole. I should fill it in, but anyway. Um, do you think you could rate like you could actually raise a, a rabbit that way? I think a rabbit would be easier than a wolf or an otter. Yeah, you're right. Do you think I, don't know. I have I have zero desire to have a pet rabbit? Oh, yeah, I don't want one either. I don't want a pet rabbit. They stink and they poop a lot. Okay. Um, God, I had something else that I wanted to talk about, uh, and this, what was it? So we we talked about uh, hunting in cin- cinema. Oh, here's what we were going to talk about. How awesome is this time of year for hunting content? It is my favorite. It's so much fun. Yeah. We get to talk about shed hunting and winter scouting. Mm-hmm. Sometimes planning a trip. It's, yep. uh, this is the hardest. And this is only January. I think March is the hardest. March is the hardest. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because by then you're like, well, I've written about shed hunting 16 times mm-hmm. and I've done a bunch of podcasts on it. And I've talked about winter scouting. And, you know, I mean, there's some topics in the outdoor space like, you know how to kill a mature buck can go a million different ways right 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 how to find an antler doesn't have quite as many exit ramps right like you're like people are like oh i want to find more antlers i'm like you should probably just walk more while looking at the ground that's about it you know i get a and kick then, out of that dude it, i mean it's literally that's that's it yeah. i mean spend more time walking around out in the woods looking around i mean you know and there's you know certain days are better than others carry your binoculars whatever yeah. but it's like it's pretty thin gruel man yeah yeah i uh so uh, 2024 marks 10 years of the uh nine finger chronicles podcast okay and so i've covered almost every topic today's conversation is obviously a first about otters and alligators and things like that but uh but i i honestly do dread this time of year and usually this time of year is when i come out with some kind of series that just kind of covers everything which i'm doing with that that no foreplay series that i'm running right now but the conversations with about late season scouting and about shed hunting it's very hard 
to get so detailed into that when you know the ant like you know the answer already. It's like you yep. don't need to listen to Dan Johnson or Tony Peterson talk in detail about how to go find sheds when the answer to that problem is go walk the properties that you have access to and look down on the ground. Yep. I mean it's now let's break it let's break it down. Let's break it down five hundred yeah. different I mean, ways. Honestly, to me, it's it's not as bad, but it feels kind of as bad now as as rut hunting content. Yeah, because you know the way things have gone out there with people kind of hunting smaller and smaller places and hunting, you know, leases, whatever. It's really a matter of time on stand in a certain kind of location. Yeah, yeah. you know the the terrain traps or just the there's like certain spots and it's like. You know, I mean, you can talk about calling or whatever access, but mostly you want to kill bucks during the rut. Yeah. It's hours on stand, and that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. Is is there an article, or is there a specific piece of content that you literally dread writing or talking about every year? Lots of it. I mean, it. It's hard. What we do is hard. <laughs> you made because... it sound like you hate your job. <laughs> like, well, I, I hate mean, do I hate doing this. No, I don't hate doing it. What I hate is, I there's always an appetite for the the base level stuff. Right. There's it's same thing in the dog training world. Same thing in the fishing world. Like there is a, an insatiable appetite for the basics. Yeah. The how to stuff. And it's, it serves a purpose. I mean, people get something out of it if you do it correctly, but once you've done enough of it, it's, it's weird because you're like, do we need to keep doing this? Yeah. But people still, they still want it. And it, you know, so it's like, that's just kind of on me. I would, I would rather write something that interests me more, Mm -hmm. you know, but so that kind of stuff and just this time of year and the hardest part about, at least in my experience, the hardest part about you know, writing or creating podcasts or videos around hunting is if it's this time of year, you're not doing very much. No. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you're, when you're out hunting all fall or you're really into the scouting in the summer, you just have a, you like a lot of experience that you can draw from mm-hmm. this time of year, even, even years where I shed hunt hard and I winter scout hard. It's, it's like the same stuff. Like you're, you're kind of just following the program and so, yeah, you might find something cool or jump a deer here or whatever, but a lot of times that's the struggle, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't been out in the woods in a long time. Uh, I, The last time I went out to do something hunting-related was late December before uh, – yeah. it might have been before New Year's Eve and then one time after – no, before Christmas and then after Christmas one time – I went to go sight in my muzzleloader and I didn't go late season hunting this year, unfortunately, uh, just too many activities going around. And I, I didn't long story short, I didn't make it a priority, but I just ended up not doing anything. And I haven't done anything right since then. My trail camera batteries are dead. So probably early February, I'm going to go make it a point to go put, batteries back in my trail cameras and check my trail cameras right before this the sheds start to fall so yep. i don't 
don't know. But it, it doesn't get me excited, per se. It's almost like no. it's just something I got to go do. Yeah. I mean, it's chores, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I'm the same way. The only thing I've done this month is cut down trees, and I'm trying to expand this little food plot on the, one of the properties I own for my girls. And, you know, I mean, I will say this year, I mean, I look out on my yard, I have no snow. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so there is a chance to get out and and scout this year for a lot of people. And I know it's different. I mean, I know they have snow in a lot of places, but I live in Minnesota. I mean, this never happens. Yeah. I mean, it, you're never in the end of January and have no snow to work with in kind yeah. of north central Minnesota. And so, I mean, there is an opportunity there, but it's like, like you said, it's not fun. Right. You know, like it's, it's rewarding to go and get some of that stuff done, but you're, it's just not the same thing. Like yeah. they're just, just a chore, man. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I did have, uh, I did want to talk about our wives and our relationships. Uh, but I think we're going to save that for another time. I do have w- one more topic I want to cover. And that is, have you ever had any type of shoulder injury or any type of injury in, that, would have potentially kept you out of the woods. Yeah. Uh, so I I tore a muscle in my shoulder in 2015 mm-hmm. doing shoulder presses at the gym. Felt it. It was a partial tear. Yeah. In August, felt it, and ended up. That that was the year I had to take my bows down to like the mid to low 50s mm-hmm. poundage wise, and I I couldn't practice. Yeah. Like I, I had, so I, I tore it, uh, early in August. I don't remember exactly the date. And I, the only time I shot from then until the season was to just match broadheads to arrows and make sure my quiver was full of arrows that are going to fly the way I want them to. But I mean, it was like, it did not make me feel good going into the season. I was like, this is, you know, I'm shooting low poundage. I haven't practiced nearly enough. And that was one of the years in where Wisconsin opened the weekend before Minnesota. Usually they're on the same weekend every year. So you kind of got to pick, am I going to hunt home or I'm going to go across the river? But like once every seven years, they'll switch and they'll be off by a weekend. And that was one of the years. So I'm like, man, I got a free play in Wisconsin. Then I can come home and hunt Minnesota. And I killed a buck opening night in Wisconsin. And I killed a buck opening weekend in Minnesota. And neither neither of my shots, I hit one in the shoulder and I hit one too far back, but it was a good angle. So neither of my shots were great, but I got to watch how that performed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay. Like now I've, it's the season's only been open just a little bit. And I've got two bucks on the ground already and I got to see their performance. And that year I ended up shooting, after that I ended up shooting really well because drawing a bow that light and holding it, is like so easy Mm -hmm. so i mean and it once you get the confidence like as long as you're keeping it close and it's going to work and so that was like as soon as that happened and i went through that season i've dialed all my bows back unless i'm unless i have an elk tag i think Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go elk hunting then i'll still shoot 70 just because i probably don't need to but that's the as close as i got to like actually taking myself out and maybe having to get a crossbow exemption or something. Yeah. And it was a, it was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just got a shot in my shoulder on Monday, which is, has helped. This is the first week back to the gym for upper body 
I've been doing off and on like lower body stuff, but upper body first time this week and the shot has seemed to help. My strength right now is ridiculously low. Like here, like, I don't know how to say this without kind of bragging or anything. Like, I don't want it to sound like I'm bragging, but just in perspective, like I was doing over 200 pound uh, lat pull downs. Okay. And over 200 pounds seated rows. I could barely do 85 pounds yesterday when I, when I did my back workout. Um, I was, you know, dumbbell bench press over a hundred. And now I, 40s I struggled this week with 40s and so although it's because I took so much time off and I was favoring my shoulder so much in that four or five month period that I I almost had what I felt was like some kind of muscle atrophy in it and so I'm now starting to build that base again but it was scary there for a while in September when I knew I had this shoulder pain. I knew that I had an option. I could keep shooting my bow, potentially hurt my shoulder more, and then have to, then have to, if I wanted to hunt, go get a crossbow exemption. So instead, I got my bow sighted in, and then I just, I would shoot once a week, basically, just to maintain something. And I don't know how I, I, I missed a buck in South Dakota. I wounded, I, he's still alive, but I shot him and uh, he didn't, uh, I shot him and uh, I didn't kill him. But then the other buck that I shot that I actually killed this year, uh, drilled him, right? And so um, when I went in for my uh, x-ray or whatever, they did a CT scan on my shoulder, arthritis, really bad. That's just from being old and tons of use, uh, labrum tear. I have multiple tears in my labrum and then just because of those other two things tons of inflammation which is causing the pain and so it as a man it sucks to to be in such good shape and then have an injury halt everything and then have zero confidence in the gym anymore when you can barely like lift your half of your body weight and I'm just like, this is bananas. And it I was like, I was frustrated as fuck this week in the gym. Cause I'm like, cause still the, the, the shot hadn't taken a hundred percent effect and I was doing exercises. And, and so today when I go back to the gym, it's going to be my first actual shoulder exercise since I, I quit lifting. And so it'll be a kind of a, a tale of where my shoulder is at. I, all I want to do is be able to shoot a compound bow this fall. That's that's what I'm lifting and training for, to be honest with you. Man, I think I was I literally just had this conversation with our mutual friend Clint Campbell the other night. He yep. called me up. We were talking about some stuff. You you're you hit a certain age, you're gonna get injured. Yeah. It's I mean, it's gonna happen and and people will look at this and go, there, you know, there's two there's two ways to look at it, I guess. You work out a lot you're going to be more prone to some kind of injury, mm-hmm. but you're also going to have a baseline that's way healthier. Yeah. I mean, you're so, or you don't work out a lot, maybe expose yourself to a little less chance of an injury, but then you have all the other negative aspects that go with not being healthy. Yeah. And man, when, 
when you are used to that rhythm of going to the gym and running a lot, whatever, and something takes you out of the game, just like when you're hunting and all of a sudden you get an injury and it takes you out, it is an eye opener. Yeah, it, it, it makes you realize, you know, the the ground that you're on isn't as solid as you thought. Right, right. My knee injuries, I was always able to power through a, my knees for some reason, but. And, and they would never be in a ton of pain. It would just be really tight, really stiff, and uh, it would take a while for that joint to loosen up when I would go work out. And then once it's loosened up, then I can, you know, b- back and do my squats and all that stuff. But this shoulder deal, it was damn near crippling. Like, I couldn't, there was a time, it hurt so bad, I couldn't even put dishes from the dishwasher up into the cupboard i have to i couldn't do that i had to use my other hand to do that and so uh i I got really worried there for a while yeah you're when you're dealing with that you're awful close to being a crossbow hunter i know right and and so (laughs) and and everybody who listens to this knows my stance on crossbows and, and what i how i feel about them uh just imagine if i had to shoot a crossbow like i would get destroyed but like, and I don't mean like a ton of people would be out to hurt me. I bet there would be so many people that like, oh, Johnson shoots a crossbow now, you know, like yeah. just messing with I mean, me. But of course, yeah. but I mean, it, the other option is to not hunt. Exactly. No exactly. way, man. And that's why I like those uh, exemptions that are in place for a reason. I, I like the, you know, if you're, if you have some kind of injury or disability, then you should be able to go out and enjoy certain times a year with a crossbow. Or if you're old, go shoot a crossbow. Like I, I don't want you to quit hunting. I want that opportunity to be there for, for people when they need it. And so, um, and down the road at some point, it's probably going to happen to me uh, that I'm going to have to go get a crossbow. But uh, until then, I'm gonna fight off the horde that is the crossbow, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna remain. I might go to trad first, then, I, which I don't know if that actually hurts or helps your shoulder. I'm guessing it will probably hurt the shoulder more because there's no let off. Don't know. Uh, it 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 can be uh, part of the disease or part of the cure. Yeah. So, be, because of no let off. It, it could be, you know, detrimental to your mm-hmm. recovery, but you can also shoot a low poundage trad bow to build your muscles back up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, which is a really decent option it, it, for certain injuries. Mm-hmm. Like it can be, but you also wouldn't need to do that. I mean, like I did it, you know, just you, you can dial down, you know, and if you're working with whitetails or, you know, whitetail size critters, we, a lot of us are way overgunned yeah. with our gear. Yeah. You know, like it's you don't need you don't need to be shooting seventy pounds to get through an animal, even a big one that's like sixteen inches wide. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you have options, but it is it is one of those things where you just like you know that that's a possibility. Like you could get injured and have to shoot a crossbow, yeah. and you know that's going to change the game for you in a way that probably won't be quite as enjoyable, but would still be a hell of a lot better option than just being like, I'm not doing it. Not going to the woods. I think what I'll do though, is do a little bit more research. Can you use in Minnesota? Can you use spears or atlatls? 
I don't think so. I don't think either one is legal in Minnesota. I don't know. It okay. never been. I've, I guess I haven't paid enough attention to it because I think it would be pretty sweet to transition from compound to a spear. Like you, that would be kind of sweet, wouldn't it? Like you kill some kind of I think big you, buck I with a spear. You're gonna have to lower your standards, buddy. Mm, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna raise them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Booners are bust. Yeah, booners are bust with a spear or an atlatl. It would be it would be pretty sweet to have a a spear that would be weighted right or whatever. Uh, Tim Wells, right? Grab one of his spears and just practice with it and see how accurate you can be with it at what distances. And so taking 60-yard spear shots at, at whitetail bucks and watching them just drop, that would, be, that would be sweet to see, though. I can't imagine a, a wild whitetail that would still be there by the time that spear <laughs> got there. Uh, but it's, you know, it's possible. Right. Uh, speaking of Wells, did you, did you ever watch the video he made when he speared himself? Oh, did dude. you see that video? Oh, I, um, imagine if nobody, if he, dude, he could have bled out. He could have died. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. And on top of that, I think he was just sitting against a tree in Africa when it went down dude lions hyenas jackals whatever's in that area is smelling that blood and he could have got yeah. eaten by by lions the, the one thing i'll say about that i think he did mention lions in there mm -hmm. but i don't i don't know where you i don't remember i don't remember where he was hunting in africa but if he was in like south africa they would have a pretty good idea what was in there with him. Oh, okay. Because everything yeah. is high fence. Yeah. And, it, and I'm not saying, I don't know if that's where he was, but there are a lot of places in Africa where if you were sitting there, a lot of the scary stuff wouldn't, you would know they weren't in there. Yeah. But I, th I think he did mention there were lions in there. I can't, I can't remember for sure. Yeah. And it, and a lot of those places do have leopards. Yeah. Uh, even, even though they have fences, they, they, you know, that stuff gets around it too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that I honestly do f think about. Like if I was at, you know, 11,000 feet in Colorado, four miles in, up in the deadfall and I break my leg or I break an ankle, no cell phone service, how you would, you would have to just old school splint whatever yourself to get out of there. Uh, it, that would be, that's, I, I think about that. A lot, dude, unfortunately, but I don't know. Well, I mean, even you take some of these Western whitetail trips and you're climbing trees. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's you, you have a lot more uh, reception now. But you know, like when I first started going out there, I was flying solo to a lot of those places. And, you know, you you know how it is. Like, you might get out there and be like, I'm going to camp here. Yeah. And then there's people everywhere. And you're like, I'm going to go to the next camp. And suddenly you're not where you told anybody you were going to be. And yeah. you're climbing up into trees. And, yeah, it's, I don't know. You think yeah. about it. And once in a while you run into critters out there and, you know, snakes and stuff like that. But, yeah. There was a, a story. This was on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast several years ago. A guy had set up a tent on a sandbar in a river and 50 miles up river it it rained really hard 
and it flash flooded. So in the middle of the night, he heard some noise and then his, he was in his tent and got washed away for just a little bit while he's in his tent. He was lucky enough to get out, grab some of his stuff and take it to higher ground. But that would, that shit would be scary. Dude, water is, you don't mess around with water, man. Yeah. It's almost, when you see, when you see people jumping into some of the, I can't remember what it's called in Hawaii, but there's some of these like, I don't know, sucker holes where they, the, the tide or the, the action oh, of yeah. the waves will like suck the water level way low and underwater caves and stuff. And it'll come back up and you see people jump in there. You're like, God, that's just like such a great way to drown. Oh yeah, exactly. Hey, and that was the last time I saw dad. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. So Mr. Peterson, another educational and informative podcast here for, for the both of us. I really do appreciate you taking time uh, out of your life to come on this podcast and pretty much kill your career or attempt to kill it. So. Listen, it was going right down the drain anyway. <laughs> this may have just helped it a little faster. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It's time to go lay sod. <laughs> well, my friend, I appreciate your time. And, uh, man, I'll talk to you when I talk to you. Thanks, buddy.